Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you'll need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. It's The List and your boy with Jimmy Van and Sean Ross What's up, you guys? Sean Ross Sapp live from Toronto, Ontario, Canada. Are you kidding? Jimmy, Are you can, kidding me? Can you believe it? <laughs> Miracles really? do exist. I'm here. Yeah. I got here contrary to you not wanting me to be here right uh-huh. next to you. This is your surprise. What, what could be more of a surprise? I took <laughs> that money uh-huh. that, that you gave me. Yeah. That you, you, you touted the raise that you gave me. <laughs> and I put it towards a plane ticket and I flew myself here. I think I'm going to stay all week. I'm going to go to the, the Jays-Reds game next week. I, I'm, uh-huh. I'll be here for the birth of your child, Jimmy. Is this this is kind of like the Wayne's World thing? I, I where guess you the, can uh, call me. I guess you can call me the Godfather. I'll be there. Will you be for the birth? Yes. And somehow we're sitting in the exact same spot, and and yet we're not uh, we're not sitting on top of each other. What That's... are you talking about? You're right. You're right here next <laughs> to me. Okay, so you got to explain to the audio listeners about the silliness that you're doing to the audio listeners. Anything they don't deserve no? it. Don't you got to agree. You actually got a green screen? A green screen? This is not a green screen. It's not a green screen? Jimmy, here's my passport. I'm I'm there. <laughs> Look, it's 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 my passport. Yeah. Can I see the I stamp? flew my chair too. Can I <laughs> Can I see the Canadian stamp on that passport? No. Show it to me. No. Don't I can't be see nosy. That? Mind your oh. own business. Okay. Okay. Kudos to you for uh, for going the extra mile. You actually got a green screen. Going the extra mile, I went hundreds. <laughs> how long are you going to keep this charade going? Like, how long? You want me to go another ten minutes? I doing didn't this? fly all the way to Toronto to play charades, Jimmy. Uh, I flew okay. here to confront Vatura. 
Oh, is that why? Last so can week, we can we high five each other then? How do we high five? Oh, sorry, my thing is backwards. How do we high five? Like that. Like that. Don't be ridiculous. So, <laughs> first off, I wanted, I went back and I watched the the show last week. Actually, I found myself I listened to that show two or three times. I don't know why. That's because you love me. Well, because I don't know. I am, I am the talent on the show, Sean. Yeah, that's funny. Anyway. I just want to say that that opening segment where you talked about how Vatura approached you, I don't even want to confront Vatura. Uh, let's talk about you acting like I was holding you hostage or something. What? Go Not back and watch that. You're sitting there like, I just want everybody to know that it's all okay. <laughs> uh-huh. Nothing's wrong. <laughs> and you're like blinking SOS signals and Morse code at your office. Well, it's because anybody that's watching right now, you clearly have me locked and trapped in this office. Like, clearly, we're both in the same office, and I am trapped in here right now. I came so, here wait. representing the Kentucky Wildcats. It's, it's, it's beautiful. And we got yeah. two visuals. Canadian tea sucks. <laughs> what is this? Uh, you, you planned that one out in advance. You no, totally I, planned that one out. When do I not drink tea during the show? I always do. I got I to gotta get that caffeine going. I meant the Canadian tea joke. You I had know that. that you Canadians had the day off Monday, but Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, this is five straight days of podcasting for me, and yeah. those were four days of NXT, uh, Backlash, Raw, SmackDown. I had yeah. my hands full. had my hands full, Jimmy. You did. You did. And you somehow managed to come to Toronto and sit in the exact same spot I'm in. Yeah, well, you know, somehow. I'm full of surprises, Jimmy. You... you I go the extra mile to make Fightful.com work. You know what's really interesting is when you said, I think it was on the Raw podcast, the post-Raw podcast, where you said, I got a surprise for Jimmy. And you're like, Jimmy, I know you're watching. I got a surprise for Jimmy. I was convinced that your surprise was going to be that you love this job so much that moving forward, you would refuse payment. Like, well, I you know, Jimmy, be the I am full of surprises. <laughs> At all times, I am like. That's a why surprise. that video was on my screen earlier because you were testing that out. What video? What are you talking about? There was a little one of me, and when we were doing the testing on this. I don't know what you're talking about, man. Okay, anybody that's listening to this on iTunes and not watching on YouTube, you are missing a lot of interesting shit. Clearly, you have too much time on your hands. I'm not giving you enough work that you have time to do all this shit. Well, so. that. Here's the bottom line. I'm worth it because I'm the best there is, the best there was, and the best there ever will be. <laughs> Sean Ross Sapp, ya boy. You're not going to find a lot of journalists who have that blue check mark who will, who will cut a rug like ya boy. <laughs> you That's know, actually – can you stay there because you're only about six inches away from James Ellsworth's dick. So can you stay there? Perfect! Entire show? Is that possible? Why'd you even give me a raise if I could do that? That's all, and that's all you really wanted. It's oh, true. Man. That's all you really wanted. If you turn sideways, like we could turn this into something really interesting. I kind of like it. I, you know, I'm, I'm just, I'm cool how I am. You are okay. So we, we got a show to do. Did anybody on my team help you with this? It Somebody was, must have. It was all Lindsay and Vatura. Lindsay actually was was part of this. Yeah, totally. It was it was their idea. Batura sent me an email and said, you want to get back at Jimmy? Mm-hmm. Here's how you do it. That's so not Lindsay. Or, uh, that's so not Batura. Well, it was not- Lindsay, too. Uh-huh. And Melissa, Lindsay- Melissa was like, this would be fantastic for an ad. 
Uh, Nigel had nothing to do with it. His hands were <laughs> Okay, if they are listening to the show or watching the show, you and I are going to talk about your compensation later. So uh, be ready for that. And whatever vacation time you're getting, you can consider it slashed in half. Hey, am I allowed to invoice this this Toronto? <laughs> <laughs> am I allowed to invoice this back? This, am I allowed this, to invoice that this plane location, ticket, this office, the, this plane ticket that I got? Uh-huh. I want to see what you hooked up later. I want to see what you did because it looks really good. Well, it's it's iffy. It's, it's just a bed sheet or something. Oh no, no it's, it's not a bed It's a shower sheet. curtain. It's a green screen. It's a, it's a green screen. Curtain. It's a green screen. The lighting isn't that good. Okay, well, how come the top still has Ellsworth and the bottom is your shower curtain? Because I can move this around as I please, Jimmy. You gave me some pretty cool software. You see. Uh-huh. Now you can just see James Ellsworth's hog chilling. Right. Which is probably what you're going to keep for the rest of the show, given your, your level of interest. Maybe. Like, why does... Like, here here's even more. Like, who's to say you're even here? <laughs> Check out I'm, the I'm, video I'm version of The List yourself, and your boy. Yeah, seriously, anybody that's uh, listening to this on iTunes, you might want to go on YouTube or Fightful.com. And check this out because Sean had a lot of time on his hands with a shower curtain this week. It was a green screen. That was a shower curtain. I mean, I have if if you want to invoice it, I got the Amazon receipt. You probably got it from Bed Bath and Beyond because it's a shower curtain. It and looks that's like okay. One. It looks like one. I need to iron it, honestly. Oh yeah, you should. You should. Somebody Rob Lapica says they didn't add an extra thirty minutes for nothing. <laughs> <laughs> so let's let's get into the show. You gotta fill the time somehow. Let's talk about the show. All right, boy. Well, kudos to you because I got to say that was creative. Yeah, that was. Are awesome. you gonna leave that up? Are you gonna leave that up? Or are you gonna put your shower curtain back up? I'm putting the shower curtain back okay. up here. Well, kudos to you, man. That was uh, that was really good. That was the first thing I had on my list today on the list of Jimmy Van right here was Sean has a surprise for me. That was actually the number one thing I had. <laughs> so good for you, bud. Now I want you know. to uh, now we're going to get into Jinder Mahal in a minute, but first. I want to do another contest. So you did a contest. Uh, I have a bunch of uh, of copies of Edge's autobiography signed by Edge. You did a contest and you gave one away. By the way, our boy Guzomatic has to get one of those because he actually kept count of the nicknames for us. So he gets a copy for that too. Of course. Okay, you need to you need to run this by me before you start giving away copies I don't even have anymore. Well, I'm here in Toronto, so I mean, there you go. So you can go to my house, or you can put up a green screen and take a picture of my house. Yeah. Put up your shower curtain and do that. So I want to do another contest. Uh, and I want to put it up on Fightful.com in the forum. And it's going to be to answer this question. Uh, who will win the Fatal 5-Way match at Extreme Rules? And who will they pin to win the match? Mm. I want you to put that up on a thread on the forum. And I want people to uh, post and give their, their take. And whoever is the first person to get it right, you're going to get a signed copy of Edge's autobiography, signed by Edge. So. Yeah, I want to say, I love how active people have been in the forums. Like, since we've relaunched them, the growth has been really awesome. And it, it makes, like, before, it was it was kind of inactive. We were working through bugs and stuff. Right. It almost seemed like a chore to visit them. But now, I love it. I look forward to, to refreshing Fightful.com and seeing what people are talking about. We've got yep. everything from movie reviews up there to... Uh, Smackdown threads, uh, people wondering who attacked Enzo, talk about the UK matches. I'm really, really liking it. And I hope you guys 
go check those out. You know, you look like you put a desk chair in your bathroom right now. What That's of, what you look What like. of it? I'm just waiting for, like, the curtain to get pulled back, and I don't know, like, your wife is give me another up. race so I don't have to broadcast from my shitter? <laughs> hey, at least it's indoors, because with you, I didn't know what to expect, because you're in, you know, mid-south Kentucky or wherever the hell you are, so... At least you have an indoor place, and I don't see a why, door. Why would you trash? Why would you trash where I'm from, Jimmy? I'm just, I'm just doing uh, fun Sean Ross Ab jokey stereotype, Sean. That's all I it is. See, I don't think you are. Yeah, I am. I am. I don't see a door with a moon cutout in it, so that's a good thing. We'll talk about it. So, so like, <laughs> let's let's get into the the meat of the show, Jimmy. All right. Okay. Let's talk about Jinder Mahal. Uh, and boy, man, do I have a lot of stuff to discuss. I have a lot of facts, but I'm going to like, I told Sean, I'm going to knock these out quick. I'm not going to bore anybody. Going to, you are really something special. What? People that are listening on iTunes, I'm telling you, you're missing out this week because of all of the magic that, that, can you make yourself sit on it? So Sean put up a a thing in his background where it looks like he's in his bathroom or in a bathroom. Hey, Jimmy, how are you? Fucking guy. You know something, man? There's a such thing as being too much into the gimmick, Bret Hart. Yeah, almost right? like when somebody asks me if I can mime shitting on a fake toilet and my <laughs> cord comes out when I'm trying to appease him. Maybe if you had have just kind of let the joke go the first time instead of trying to ride it out for 15 minutes, we wouldn't have been in this predicament. Well, okay, listen, Brett? Okay, listen, Brett? Listen. If you, all, you think, if you all hear how much of an ass Jimmy is, it <laughs> motivated me to immediately not fly. I ran back to Kentucky. <laughs> I'm the back? fastest man alive. You are. You are. Yeah. How did you get the, the shower curtain down already? Did you, Is it in a different area? Or you just yanked it down? You're always worried about my, my bathroom. Why is that? Well, you're, What happened you're, the last time you were nosy about my bathroom? You messed when up you the had stream, your, Jimmy. You had your shower curtain up, you pretended to shit on a digital toilet, and you screwed up the entire show. I didn't pretend to so. shit on a digital toilet, Jimmy. I pretended oh, to did bathe. You, did you really shit on the digital toilet? Yeah. <laughs> Is that what happened? Well, uh, you were bitching about me. Is that why me. we went off the air for you 10 minutes? You were bitching about me living the gimmick. I lived the gimmick, Jimmy. Mm. Man, I'm glad to be back home in Kentucky where the tea is delicious. Okay, Brett. Good job on that one, bud. Needless to say, guys, I will be doing some heavy editing this evening yes you will and i'm sure we probably lost all of our viewership no we didn't that's just a couple of fucking morons we didn't at all (laughs) actually not even close uh so you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna splice this together so it looks like all one piece right and all that yeah so so all the people who are hearing this and seeing this after live are gonna be like what are those idiots talking about right well you can keep the first part in until you screwed it up you mean you screwed then, it up by asking me to pretend to crap on a digital toilet, which I, I instead really crapped on the digital toilet. So. And what is it that your parents say when you're a child? They say, if somebody jumps off a bridge, are you going to? And I say, do they pay my bills? Oh, is that all it takes? I mean, listen, Jimmy, I'm a whore. <laughs> <laughs> Kudos to you. That's, that was actually good. That was actually good. I have no comeback for that. Yeah, that exactly. Was actually good for you. That was good, man. How do I go into Jinder Mahal after that? 
I don't know. I was I in India that? on the scene. I was ready. Yeah. I had it queued up. I saw that. I said, no, it was it was in your background. I was gonna do the. I'm here live on the scene, and people do not give a shit. I saw it. I saw it. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, let's let's. I guess it's so difficult for me to try to get serious after all that nonsense. Oh, but uh, let's try to get back to the list of Jimmy Van right here and uh, talk about Jinder Mahal. So as I was saying before, your bullshit with a digital toilet screwed everything up. When he won the number one contendership, and you and I talked about Jinder on this show, I chose not to go into the business side because I didn't know how serious they were going to be about Jinder Mahal. Uh, but now that he's won the title, clearly they're going to get behind him, so we need to talk about it. So uh, let's break it down first for people that might not be familiar with the situation. Very quickly, Jinder Mahal is a Canadian wrestler. Uh, of Indian descent, born and raised in Calgary, Alberta, as a matter of fact. And uh, he has had two stints with WWE. The first one was from April 2011 to June 2014. He was released from his contract, brought back uh, in July of last year, July of 2016. And he spent about eight months essentially being enhancement talent. And what that means is that he was his job was to make others look good and to lose his matches to his opponents. That's what an enhancement talent is. And he did that for eight months. Out of the blue, uh, this past April, he's injected into a number one contender match for the WWE title. The internet was in an uproar about it. What the hell is going on? How does this make any sense? He was a loser for eight months. And last Sunday at the Backlash pay-per-view, he defeated Randy Orton and he won the WWE championship. Uh, and that is that has got us kind of where we are with this story. So... Uh, I think there's two sides we got to look at, and, and you have addressed this on a couple of the podcasts, Sean, uh, and Chris Arrington did a good article yesterday about uh, business in India, and we're going we're gonna to get into that because that's really why this decision was made. But let's first talk about the creative side of this uh, because you've said a couple of times on these podcasts, I wish there was a storyline explanation as to why he was put into the number one contender match because there has been no storyline explanation, right? Correct. So. I mean, that, that was that was the only thing I that I was like, that doesn't make sense, was why was he in the contender match? He right. can win all these subsequent matches because right. he's done so with the help of his buddies. That makes sense. But why was he in that match to begin with? Uh, I want the people in the live chat right now, I want them to tell you that they can see and hear us okay because I still have they a can. loading thing. They can? Yeah, they can hear I still, us. I still have a loading thing in the middle of the screen, so I'm kind of wondering uh, You're okay. Going. Stop worrying about that. Okay. You, okay, you, Brett. Let, let's tell the people that you thought it was me up to something again. Yeah, I did. <laughs> like I, I did. hacked Skype too. I did. No, there because when a little window came up, I was like, Sean's gonna fuck. He's gonna put his face in the middle of my forehead. He's gonna do something stupid. So uh, just don't do anything dumb again, Brett. Okay, I don't want you to to get unplugged again. So let's talk about the creative side of the Jinder Mahal thing first. I, I'm going to go into a little bit of detail. So like I said, uh, he was brought back, uh, he was re-signed in July of 2016, and every week with the exception of his first week back when he beat Heath Slater, because that was part of a Heath Slater storyline where he was an undrafted wrestler by either brand, aside from that, Jinder lost every week on television. He lost decisively on television in two or three minutes. I think he and beat the Swagger one time. And that was did it. he beat Swagger once? Okay. Once. But the thing is, is not only did he lose and not only did he lose quickly, he was losing to mid-card guys. It's not like he was losing to Roman Reigns and, and, uh, and Seth Rollins. He was losing to Darren Young and Neville and Sami Zayn. 
Um, by October, he was relegated to Superstars, which I think in the U.S. is only on the network now, right? Yes. Uh, Superstars, so Superstars doesn't even exist anymore. Doesn't exist anymore. Okay. So by October, he was relegated to Superstars, and he was continually losing to Darren Young in like three minutes on Superstars or seven minutes, I think one week, on Superstars. Then uh, on April 2nd, WrestleMania 33, uh, he was in the Andre the Giant Memorial Battle Royal. And for those that might not be familiar, what, what they essentially do is they take 30 guys that they don't have anything to do. They have not, no plans for them at WrestleMania. They put them in a battle royal. Uh, and then the winner is, you know, wins this, supposedly wins this Andre the Giant uh, Memorial Battle Royal trophy. Jinder was put into that. And surprisingly, he was one of the final two entrants in the match. And I remember a lot of, at the time, people were like, why is Jinder one of the last two guys? Remember? Like there was yes. surprise about that. And um, he ended up – he was eliminated by a guy named Mojo Raleigh. And the point of that match was that uh, a football player by the name of Rob Gronkowski, who is a star player with the New England Patriots, he was friends with Mojo Raleigh. He was at WrestleMania. And that was essentially an opportunity for WWE to get him on the show to get press. Yes. Uh, and Jinder was the guy that had to you know, basically get jobbed out to a football player in that match. Mm-hmm. So that was on April 2nd. Now, you would think that uh, – Still last since month. He, yeah, still last month, right. You would think that because he was suddenly uh, you know, one of the final two in the Battle Royal that he was in for an immediate fast push. No. He, uh, he moved to SmackDown on April 11th as part of the, the, the Superstar shakeup. He went from Raw to SmackDown, uh, immediately was squashed by Mojo Raleigh again on that episode on April 11th. But then, out of nowhere, things started to change, and I want to bring up a house show on April 15th, because this is, uh, this is a good part of the story. I don't know if you're familiar with this, Sean. So Jinder was on Chris Jericho's podcast on the May 17th edition, yes. and he was, talking, he was talking about his sudden rise, right? He said that on a house show in Champaign, Illinois, on April 15th, and it was a Rob Brand house show, uh, he was wrestling the big show. Now, obviously, big show's got some stroke in the office. He's really tight with Triple H. Big Show's going to know some things that not everybody is going to know. And the Big Show told Jinder Mahal, uh, I heard the office is getting ready to do something with you. I heard they've got big plans for you. And so I'm going to make you look good in this match. And even though Jinder lost the match because that was what was booked, Big Show uh, let him body slam him, which is something that he didn't do with a lot of people, right? So that was the start of it, was that house show on April 15th in Champaign, Illinois, when the Big Show, who knew something, Made him look good. Then on April 18th, and keep in mind, this is one week after Mojo Raleigh squashed him on SmackDown, right? He was uh, included in the uh, number one contender six-pack challenge for the WWE title. And even back then, there were a lot of questions. Uh, how come uh, AJ Styles wasn't in the match? How come Kevin Owens wasn't in the match? Baron Corbin. Baron Corbin. And how come Jinder Mahal, who had lost for eight straight months, is in this match? He wins that match. He becomes the number one contender. And then all of a sudden, he starts winning. Uh, on May 2nd, he defeated Sami Zayn, who up until then had pul- like pulverized him every week that they wrestled. Then on May 9th, he uh, scored the pinfall in a six-man tag alongside Barrett Corbin and Kevin Owens against AJ Styles, Randy Orton, and Sami Zayn. Then on May 16th, he beat AJ Styles, which was a huge match for him, that he actually beat AJ Styles. And then at the Backlash pay-per-view last Sunday, he beat Randy Orton for the WWE title. Um, in terms of creative, tell me if you agree or disagree, I consider it embarrassing in terms of creative. 
to me, it's no different than the Brooklyn Brawler beating Hulk Hogan in 1988 for the WWF title, or Barry Horowitz beating Bret Hart in 1994 or 1993 for the WWF title. Um, and I'm not knocking Jinder as a talent, right? This is not about Jinder Mahal as a talent. This is about the creative booking and, and about the lack of foresight and, and the, quick, uh, the quick decisions. Um, now, you have said that you want a storyline explanation, and I have two answers to give you to try to explain this uh, so that you can you know, try to understand. And unfortunately, there really is no, no good answer. The, uh, the first thing is, quite simply, it doesn't matter to Vince McMahon. And one thing that Jinder said on Jericho's podcast is that he had heard how Vince thinks that wrestling fans forget the past, and so it doesn't matter what a wrestler has done before. You know? It's embarrassing. It is embarrassing. He thinks that wrestling fans forget the past, don't worry about it, you know, the kind of thing. And when you think about the fact that most of the current roster, they were wrestling fans previously, before they were wrestlers, Triple H was a massive wrestling fan. Are you telling me that if you ask Triple H about a storyline that Ric Flair was in in the 80s, he's not going to remember? Here, here's what draws the concern for me. A lot of people are saying, oh, this is great, new people, new stuff, getting new opportunities. What it says to me is that Vince McMahon believes that for one, two, five, six years at a time, he can make somebody lose every week and thinks that his fans are too stupid to remember it. So what does that mean for anybody's favorite? Yeah, and, and if you think about uh, uh, the recent past, I think about Matt Bloom is, is, is one of the examples that comes up. They brought Matt Bloom back as Tenzai, and one of the reasons he didn't work is because every week on Raw, the crowd was chanting Albert. Mm-hmm. They remembered that was, that was Albert. Because they, they, they tried to treat people like they were stupid. Like, right, right. All you right. had to say was, this guy used to be Albert. He reinvented himself in Japan and became a huge star. He found his right. footing. That's all it takes, man. Like Bray, they chanted Husky Harris at Bray Wyatt for a that's while. Right. That's yeah, all that's he right. had to do was go out there and say, "I used to call myself a a tank with a Ferrari engine, and that wasn't getting it done, and I lost right. my mind." People aren't going to chant that anymore. Right, and if you remember an article in Vice dot com dated uh, December nine, twenty sixteen, and if anybody hasn't read that, go back and look it up. Um, one uh, unnamed former WWE executive said, you can't commit anything to paper there because with Vince, it can change so fast. Yeah. And that's why I think, and I'm going to go into this in a minute about uh, how I think this came about, but I think they had no plans for gender when they signed up, and I'm going to, again, talk in a bit about why that is. I think that in April, certain things happened from a business perspective uh, that made Vince decide you know, at the drop of a hat, okay, we're going to go with this guy. And, and that's why there was no, that's why it, it came out of nowhere. And again, there was no storyline explanation because Vince just doesn't think it's required. He, he thinks that people forget. The thing is, I absolutely think that Mahal can perform to WWE standards at that level. I do. Uh, but you look at his physique in September of last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, suspect compared to now. Because yeah, that sure. transformation happened before our eyes. That's suspicious. I'm not going to say, um, you know, people, you can... Let your eyes tell the story. He works really hard. I'm not denying that he doesn't work really hard. In fact, I've had so many wrestlers, probably a dozen different wrestlers that I've spoken to about the situation saying he works really hard and we like him. Unanimously mm-hmm. liked. Mm-hmm. He's, he's beloved backstage, not only just in WWE, people in Impact who have worked with him too. In mm-hmm. fact, Impact wanted him before this. Why is that? Because... <laughs> 
Impact for the last several years has been trying to make Mahabali Shera work mm. for their market in India. And right. it ain't working. Not only no. that, but I've had wrestlers from Impact saying, like, when, when we talk about the comparisons, they're like, they're not kind about Mahabali Shera. And right. from what I was told, Impact was like, yeah, there are better options out there. We need to get them. A question I have is, with Impact being in India in a week, do they need to be sending WWE an edible arrangement right now? <laughs> because it can't be, it can't do them any harm. <laughs> are you saying to try to get gender? No, no, no. Should they? I mean, now I'm sure there are plenty of people in India who didn't give a damn about wrestling. At least a few. Oh, I see what you're saying. Who I see may you're... pay a little bit more attention to it now? I'm, I'm sure those are sold shows or something, but that that's a question I had. But the big question no, I, I, I have I think is did... if Jimmy, if you're a WWF superstar, if you're or WWE superstar, if you're Sami Zayn, mm-hmm. and you look at how Jinder Mahal looked in September. Mm-hmm. You look at how Jinder Mahal looked now. You are of Syrian descent. What does that tell you that you need to do to get over the hump? Uh, his look was not the reason they went with him. I mean, it didn't. It Let's didn't be real. Him. Let's be real. No. If he looked no. the way that it did, if he did in September, they're not going with him. It certainly helped him. There's no question about it, but certain things happened, and I'm going to get into it uh, now. Certain things happened in April that led to this decision. Uh, and, and again, his look didn't, certainly didn't hurt him. It, it helped him. But there were things that happened that led to this decision. So I think that – I mean when he came back in, in August, uh, that's when he started back with the company. He looked good. He didn't look the way he does now, but he didn't look horrible when he came back in August. And I think that if he looked like that today, they still would have gone with him based on, on things that have happened. But let's go into it. So I want to talk about the business side. Uh, and again, uh, Chris Harrington wrote a good piece on Fightful.com yesterday about WWE's business in India. Uh, you guys should check that out. I was joking with Sean that uh, that Chris stole my thunder because I had all this research, and he covered a lot of it in that piece. So check that out. Um, WWE's top three markets in terms of television revenue are in the U.S., the U.K., and India. Okay? And uh, Chris estimated in his article that the India TV deal currently – accounts for about 12% of WWE's total rights fees, but that by the end of the deal in 2019, it's going to be a higher percentage and it's going to be comparable to the UK deal. Um, there is a story at investopedia.com dated April 21st talking about how WWE was trying to pump up its presence in India. And the reasons included, obviously, the population base. How many times on SmackDown this week did they talk about $1.3 billion? Uh, in India, it's a massive population. The other thing is that India represents WWE's single largest regional contribution to their 75, 750 million social media followers. Uh, and you had mentioned before about how gender was a YouTube sensation because your post-backlash numbers were really good. No, not the post-backlash uh, numbers, but um, some of his numbers before then, like around the start of the push, the numbers were really good. Right. Then when he started wrestling, the matches were down if he's not wrestling right it, they're they're pretty good yeah right okay okay i mean he's not the greatest in the ring but we'll, we'll get into that uh then uh, i think it was kyler that said uh um on twitter that the punjabi celebration that's on youtube from smackdown this week was already at a million views 
within 24 hours, less than 24 hours. Yeah, and I usually do those, and I'll have them ready to go by 4.35 p.m. Eastern. But right. lately, the the numbers have not been cracking like 870,000. They haven't been doing anything. Right, right now, with about an hour to go before that standard, it sits at 1.28 million. The right. next best is 630,000. Right, Smackdown. right. Now, here's been the problem for years for WWE. Um, they have been unable to monetize that fan base in India, that massive fan base, outside of the TV deal. They don't run many live events there for a lot of reasons. And again, uh, Jinder talked about this on Jericho's podcast. Uh, you need special permission to run there. There's corruption with the ticket brokers there. The working conditions aren't great. The flights are long. Uh, and because of all of that, India just can't be part of a regular travel loop. The last time they ran there was January of 2016, and they're not scheduled to go back until September of this year. And so live event revenue is just non-existent when it comes to India. Then when you look at the network, uh, they launched uh, the network in India in English in October 2015. And WWE doesn't reveal subscriber counts. But uh, as of April 3rd, there were 424,000 paid international subscribers. Uh, and I don't think India even cracked the top four internationally. Brandon Howard did a little bit of research for me, and he said that the top markets outside of the U.S. for the network are the U.K., Germany, Canada, and Australia. And so there's another area that they're not able to monetize Despite that massive Canada's terrible sweet tea. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. Uh, then if you want to talk about merchandise, obviously they're not getting merchandise due to live events because they don't run live events. Um, also, he doesn't have merchandise right well, now. Well, no, but he doesn't yet. But but and but again, we're gonna we're gonna get into uh, get into that. But merch has been pretty minimal. And um, last month, the month of April, that's when I think WWE got serious. Uh, and this is why I think Jinder was put into the spot. I think last month was when they really kind of flipped a switch and decided that they need to, needed to do something. On April third, they launched the WWE shop in India which is WWShop.in. It was the same day that WrestleMania was broadcast in India. Then on April 20th, they announced that they appointed a new VP and general manager of WWE India named Shitesh Srivastava. Uh, and they said that he will lead WWE strategic business initiatives, day-to-day -day operations in India, work with partners across all of WWE's lines of business, television, live events, marketing sponsorship, new media, etc., etc. A couple of weeks ago, May 10 to 12th, WWE and Sony Pictures Networks India, which owns 10 Sports, and that's the network they're on in India, they did a media event in Mumbai, and they brought the New Day in um, for that. And so here's the trick. The key component to making this whole thing work, uh, the key component to getting merchandise in the shop, the key component to maybe potentially doing more live events there, the key component to trying to monetize that social media is they need to have an Indian wrestling star. But there's a trick to it. You can't just take a guy from India, put him on TV, and he's going to be a big star. The trick is that WWE has to find someone that is not only of that ethnicity, but they are uh, capable of successfully working at the top of the card with the core U.S. audience. They've got to be well-received by the core U.S. audience. And on Jericho's podcast, Jinder said something that I thought was uh, notable. He said, just because you're Indian isn't enough. If you're a bench warmer, nobody cares. But if you're a player, everybody cares. Mm -hmm. And that's what he said. Now, for years, believe it or not, 
WWE had that guy in the great Khali. Yeah, big time. Uh, and, and, and a lot of people might be surprised to hear this. Khali's a huge star in India. Yeah, He's yeah. massively popular in India. Uh, he started with the company in April 2006. He was plugged into a program almost immediately with The Undertaker. He won the world title a year later, became a made man in India. Uh, and the core audience in the U.S. was well – they were receptive to Great Khali because he was 7'2", right? Even though he couldn't cut a promo, he wasn't a good worker in the ring, he was 7'2", and he was believable as the antagonist of The Undertaker. Uh, and so he, uh, he worked with the core audience in the U.S. And because he was put in a prominent role, he, he became a big star in India. As time went on, Kali became a mobile. He became more of a novelty uh, by November of 2014, uh, he was gone, and at that time, they hadn't launched the network yet in India. They hadn't launched the shop yet uh, in India. And so even when Kali was popular, they didn't really have a way to monetize his popularity because they didn't have these business units yet. Um, in June of 2015, they announced that they had signed two new wrestlers from India. One is Jeet Rama, and the other is Kishan Raftar, and they assigned them to NXT, uh, they both appeared on the India tour in January of 2016, but neither have really shown yet that they're ready for the main roster. Then in late April, there was a tryout in Dubai that included 10 wrestlers from India, but obviously uh, anybody that they signed now, they'd be nowhere near ready for the main roster, Correct. right? And that's where Jinder Mahal comes in. And you talked about the TNA thing, and I want to talk about that for a minute. Um, Jinder said that you know he, he, he had been released from WWE, he had been working indies for two years, uh, he started to get himself into better shape because he had let himself go physically, but he started getting into better shape. Then Impact Wrestling hit him up, I think because of Drew McIntyre, because him and Drew McIntyre are best friends. Impact Wrestling hit him up, they wanted to get a meeting. Out of the blue, WWE calls him, uh, saying they want to bring him back. I'm sure it was leaked to WWE about that meeting, and, and Jinder himself thinks that that's probably the case, and, and they bring him back. Um, and, and one other little side note quickly is in 2011, when Kali's contract was coming due and WWE didn't know if he was going to resign, Jinder was brought to the main roster his first go around. Mm -hmm. And, uh, the plan even back then was to make Jinder that guy for the Indian market. And I think Triple H even told him so. And then they resigned Kali and then Jinder kind of moved down the card. Which uh, is unfortunate because Jinder could, I mean, Jinder's always been a hard worker and, his the the shape that he was in in September and August of of this year before right. his body transformation, he didn't look like the Jinder Mahal who was who was there in like 2012. He looked really good back then too. Right, right. Uh, now I want to say one thing quickly. So going back to this Impact Wrestling thing, the reason that I think that when they brought Jinder back on this go around. The reason that I think he spent eight months as an enhancement talent is because I don't think WWE ever had any plans for him. I think the reason that they re-signed him was so that Impact Wrestling couldn't. Maybe. Uh, that, that's my personal opinion. I think that's why they did it. The thing is, Impact Wrestling, Sean, what are their two biggest markets in terms of television revenue? The UK and India. Yeah. Right? They don't even have a, a decent US contract right now. The UK and India. And I think WWE recognized, okay, they're looking to sign this guy maybe to help them in the Indian market. Uh, and so in order to try to cut that off at the, at the knees, they re-signed him. And it's very much like the UK title ITV situation to me. And you're familiar with that situation, right? Yes. Uh, and I'll, I'm going to explain it very quickly in case anybody doesn't know. So ITV is the number two network in the UK. 
And last October, uh, they announced that they were going to be filming a television pilot, and Jim Ross was going to be the commentator. Then, out of nowhere, on December 15th, WWE announced that they were going to create a UK championship. They were going to hold the tournament to crown the first champion. They were going to air it on the network. Uh, and then they locked up a bunch of UK wrestlers to contracts so that ITV was unable to sign them. Um, the ITV pilot aired. They decided they were going to then team up with Impact Wrestling to do a 10-episode series. And uh, they were going to call it World of Sport. And then what did WWE do? They re-signed Jim Ross to a contract. Which also hurts New Japan Pro Wrestling down the line because when his contract's due with them in right. January, he's, he's going to be WWE. But yeah, also, he will. Also, I would imagine Mauro Ronaldo heads back to New Japan too. Yeah, it's possible, but I don't think that they resigned Jim Ross thinking about New Japan. I think they, they, they signed be Jim Ross. About New Japan. Yeah, but I, I don't think they were at that time. Yeah. I think they signed him so ITV couldn't. Well, because... two birds, one stone. You know? No, you're right. You're right. You're right. But I, I don't think they had that foresight. I, I think, think that they I were thinking hurt as many people as you possibly can. <laughs> sure, sure. But I think they were thinking, let's cut ITV off at the knees. We don't want this competition in the UK. It's a it's a major they've, market for they've us. They've done this for decades, though. They have. I mean, like they've they had Aldo Montoya. And they said, listen, you can go to ECW, but you can't go to WCW type of thing. Like, they they structured his deal. They had no plans for Just Incredible. But no. WCW showed some interest in him. And they're like, anywhere but there. Uh, yeah. Matt Riddle, how many times have we uh, have I talked to him about that on the show that we did? Yeah. He messaged them and was like, hey, guys, would you mind if I worked for Ring of Honor? And they said, yeah, we would. You should go to Evolve instead. We'll hook you up. Right, right. So, I mean, it's, they, they do this all the time. Now, I want to read a quote from the Investopedia.com story uh, because I think it's very indicative. Uh, the guy that wrote it uh, was pretty knowledgeable. He even said that he's a uh, stockholder of WWE stock. So I want to read this quickly. He said, professional wrestling's popularity has been increasing in India, and WWE wants to solidify the market to keep rival companies out. That has become especially important as a number of smaller players in the company space have established beachheads in the United Kingdom from which India could be a logical extension. WWE likely has the size and muscle to remain the dominant player in the country if it devotes more resources to the market, and that's what it's doing. Um, and again, that came out, uh, I believe, the third week of April. So I think that April is when things change. They, they launched uh, the shop. Uh, they hired a new VP and general manager. Um, and I think that gender was right place, right time. That's what I think it was. I think that when they looked at their roster, including NXT, and they thought, okay, here's a guy. Number one, he, he looks great. Number two, he speaks perfect English so he can work with the core U.S. audience. He understands the WWE system. He understands how to work in front of a camera. Um, we can kind of plug him in. We don't have to do a whole lot of you know training with him to learn our system. I think he was the right guy at the right time, and uh, so he became the logical fit, even though he had been an enhancement talent for eight months. And that's, that's the reason why I think he was put in that spot. Yeah, I think a lot of it had to do with, with his what kind of shape he was in. Because I think if he were in the shape that he was in a year ago, I don't think WWE would have pulled the trigger on it. Because it's one thing to be a jobber every week on TV. It's one thing to be a jobber and look like Jinder Mahal does right now. Sure, sure. Because, and it's like somebody somebody in our chat said, WWE, WWE fans will let stuff like that go if they're just explained why. Right. I mean, I, I, mean, watched, they I still watched Robbie it, Lawler right? lose fight after fight after fight after fight, and right. he said, I stopped sparring, I got smarter, and he became world champion. Jinder Mahal very clearly got in great shape. 
Oh yeah, he did. No question. So about that it. that could change a career. That could change a career. Yeah. And yeah. It, all it takes is Shane McMahon saying, "I want to break into the India market." That's why I put. No, him in you're match. absolutely right. That's you're all it takes. Right. They could still do that. I mean, they they could even just do Talking Smack now and have him say it, and then replay it on SmackDown the following week, and everybody would get it. Um, I want to address a couple questions that you and Anna both posed on the post Raw podcast. Uh, you asked a question. You said, if Jinder were black or white, would he have gotten this push? And the answer is no, he wouldn't have, at least not right now. Yeah. He wouldn't have. There is no chance if he was white that they would have taken him after being enhancement for eight months and put him in the main event of, of a paper. It just wouldn't have happened. It was done strictly for business reasons. Uh, and one other thing. And, and if he were black, they just wouldn't have considered it at all. Because that's well, what WWE does. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Maybe they put him with the New Day or, or something. Else, I don't or know. else there's no reason why Big E shouldn't have been in the spot by now at least one time. Because see, I don't, I don't see, I don't see in Big E what you do from a from I a do. single superstar point of view. Oh, I definitely, I just, do. I just don't. There were uh, people who used to think Titus was that guy, and I'm I, like, I, I thought that I did. I, I can't did. believe it. You saw that in Titus, but not in Big I did. E. Absolutely. More athletic, uh, in in better shape, way more charismatic. Although I think Titus in his current role is fantastic. Titus looks the part. You put him in suits. Uh, you could put him on Ellen, and he would do a great job. He's got the credibility, was, too. He is dad of the year. Yeah. See, I was looking outside of the in-ring. I was looking at the business side of things with Titus, too. I still believe that Titus had that potential if they had to, oh. they had to use it. Anna said something. Uh, she said, why should the Indian market get behind this gender character, the anti-American uh, gender character? Uh, and Jinder himself said on Jericho's podcast that the promo he was supposed to cut when they started pushing him was was uh, was going to be different. And Vince McMahon rewrote it and made it anti-American, which is what which is what you saw. And uh, I have two answers to that whole thing. Um, first of all, I think that that promo, even though it was anti-American, it was not anti-Indian. And I think that if anything, it was pro-Indian. And I think that his character is kind of pro-Indian. Yeah. And to me, it's almost like 2017 Heart Foundation, right? Mm-hmm. Instead, of, instead of Canada, U.S., it's India, U.S. Well, unfortunately, WWE is not going to be in India every other week. Like, No, it's you're right. And I, too bad because it would be amazing if they could. If, but if, I think, if they did, I would say, well, they tried to sign Sanjay Dutt and he turned him down. Right. Man, I wonder how bad he – I wonder how he feels right now. I won't say how bad. But he wouldn't have worked in that spot because it, he he just he was too small. He, he wasn't going to be in that spot. He probably no. would have been in the set spot of one of the Bollywood boys. I would imagine. Yes, yes. But, I mean, still, he passed it up because his buddy Jeff Jarrett is running Impact Wrestling again. Right. But I mean, the, the Davari brothers could have worked in that spot too. But I don't know Sean Davari's Lucha Underground status. But man, you yeah, want to talk about knowing? Huh? They're Middle Eastern, I think, man. Doesn't matter with WWE. You know it doesn't matter with WWE. I don't think I agree with that. You know it doesn't matter with WWE. I think when you let, let's say that they do PR in India Jimmy, and Jimmy, what did they say Yokozuna was? Oh, that's this is different. This is they this said, is they said he was Japanese. I don't care. This is this is a different time. And they said Hassan had, was was like oh my god, he was Italian. I know, but it's a it's a different time, man. I think, it's a I think different they time. Still would have done it. I really no, think they. Still I don't think so it. because then what are you going to do? You're going to send them with Gender to do a little PR tour of India. Gender speaking Punjab, Punjabi, and they're sitting there uh, they looking at the ceiling. Would, probably just wouldn't have sent him. 
Potentially, but no, I, I, I think going with guys that oh, actually. Well, I'll say this: I don't want to say WWE Vince McMahon. If Vince well, McMahon would, be would have, because he sees people like that, and he's like, "Plug them in there. <laughs> They'll work." Well, I was actually going to explain that the reason that he's doing the anti-American thing, because Anna was like, why is he doing the American anti-American thing? It's because that's what Vincent Mann has known for 40 years. Yeah. Right? When you have an ethnic heel, he's an anti-American ethnic heel. Mm -hmm. It's what he's always done. It doesn't matter if you're the Iron Sheik. It doesn't matter if you're Nikolai Volkov. It doesn't matter if you're Yokozuna. It doesn't matter if you're Muhammad Hassan. That's what he's always done. And so, of course, he's going to make him the anti-American. I think Vincent Mann wakes up and he thinks it's 1985. Yeah, Some days. he thinks that some of that stuff still works, and yeah. to, an, to an extent, it does. Like, I, I like the idea of Jinder Mahal being a babyface everywhere, but he. You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, <laughs> I could really use Current. <laughs> I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. Yeah, well, and, he, and it, it could happen. It, you know, something else he said on the Jericho podcast, he said when we do shows in Vancouver, because there's a big Indian contingency, he gets pops, even though sure. he's supposed to be the heel, right? Yeah. So that could that could easily happen. Very I good just, chance. I just absolutely think that if Vince McMahon, somebody would have to explain it to him, he would mm. be like, what about those Davari brothers? <laughs> I don't know. I don't Plus know. Plus they're I'd I'd like to think somebody would whisper in his ear and tell him, uh... They would, but initially, he would be like... Them. Them. <laughs> well, anyway, so I, I hope we've cleared up this gender thing. And, and again, this is not a knock on Jinder Mahal. Because uh, you and I have spoken about him. He's, he looks the part. He looks like a superstar. He's very articulate. I don't think he's been very good at cutting his promos. But he's very articulate. I don't think he's especially good in the ring. But again, he knows the system. Another, uh, another good example. Sorry to interrupt, Dominic Oliver. How about Scott Hall? He's got a tan. He's Cuban. Right. I think that was Scott Hall's uh, probably. idea. Probably. I think it was. But yeah. he knew that Vince would buy it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Also, so I, don't, I don't think Vince knew what Scarface was. He didn't. Probably. Uh, another thing, one of the things that was brought up a lot, people, there were trolls, a lot of trolls, and I call it troll culture. A lot of people just, they want to see the world burn. They mm. do. For whatever reason, they think it's funny when other people are pissed off. And it's mm. to the point now where if me, as a person who comments on wrestling, I'm like, I don't like that. I just don't like the the, the character, the way it's portrayed, anything. It's like, crybaby type of thing. <laughs> and I had one guy saying, you just don't like him because he's not an indie guy. And I said, what? He came up with Tyson Kidd and Stampede. He's more mm. indie than a lot of indie, quote-unquote, indie guys. I want to touch upon this for a minute. I want to touch upon this. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put you to task just a little bit. Uh -huh. So uh, I caught that. And I think I asked you yesterday, can you tell me exactly what the guy said? Because I, I knew I was going to talk about it. So two comments I want to make about that. 
the first comment is I think there's a lot of ignorance about the independence and about how much money can be made in the independence. Mm-hmm. Uh, because there are some guys now, and Cody Rhodes comes to mind, who are, who's making as much money, if not more, on the independence than he did in WWE. Uh, and the reason for that is that, number one, you're not paying for hotels or airfare. WWE only covers airfare, not hotel. Number two, you can name your price. Number three, you get to keep your own merch money. So whatever you sell at the show, whatever you sell online, you get to keep it. So I think there's a lot of ignorance. I think that a lot of people, when they hear independent, they think of bingo halls, uh, and they think, oh, you're making 50 bucks a night. That's just not the case for a lot of guys anymore. So that's that's the first thing. Cody Rhodes is one of the most popular independent wrestlers right now. Would you have ever called him an indie guy? No. He was no. from the first bump he took, I think, WWE. And now he's selling merch like crazy. He's doing all kinds of stuff. It's Ultimately, true. it's about making a good character out of Jinder Mahal and making it make sense. I think they can do that. Perhaps not as much as they did with, say, The Undertaker, Jimmy. (laughs) Good one, man. Good one. We spoke to J.J. Dillon for the latest story time with J.J. Dillon. This one is a two-parter. You'll get uh, part two next week. But he spoke to us about The Undertaker, one of the greatest characters in uh, WWE history. And uh, J.J. was around for really some of the instrumental moments of the undertaker so check it out you guys obviously one i want to talk about is the undertaker he came in in at survivor series 1990 he did a dark match before that as well but he had a run before that had you met the undertaker before he came into wwf not that i can recollect no and i and i and you- i did not you know, people would – I did not look at, at the other – when I was working with WCW, I never watched the WWF product. When I went to work for Vince, I no longer watched the WCW. And I never felt that I could do my job to the best of my ability if I was reacting to what somebody else was doing. I rather looked at what my job was and what my challenge was focus all my attention on doing that to the best of my ability. So I did not see Mark Calloway before he came in the first time. And when he came in, like me, that meeting was in private at Vince's house. How'd that meeting go? It went very good. I mean, he's an impressive guy. He's big, you know, had the size and uh, um, just, you know, some in the business, they call it the it factor. And if you round the business on the executive side you, it, it's hard to um to describe you know to find the words to describe and eventually it's like it's all oh, it, it's just i don't know i can't i can't explain it but he's got it and it's it's like a, it's i guess another word for natural charisma and he had that and i think whatever vince's first first reaction was he thought maybe like Maybe you could be a Viking, you know, with the helmet, with the horns, and the berserker, basically. I, well, I don't, I don't know that there was that connection, but he just saw this big guy, and 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 why, you know, why what Vince saw in him, you know, he Vince had a very creative mind, and and he he had a department that he would then take someone and turn them over to this department and say, okay, look at look at them, look at their their build, their body, their features, what they do, 
and play with it and feed me some ideas. And he would then a lot of times take something that they that they would suggest that they saw in them because they're looking at it from a different perspective. They were not not necessarily wrestling people. They were looking more at like taking somebody and casting them as a as a as a character. And, and I will say this. Um, to me, in, 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 as I look back for my years, and I was there before they went public, so I, I was there when it was the WWF for just short of eight years. And then I was with WCW for five years and before they went out of business. But in all of the years that went by, my opinion was, and I, I feel that I, 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 I've got some credibility when I say it, I think that the Undertaker is the greatest persona, character, however you want to define him, that, that was ever with the WWF slash WWE. No, hands down. Yeah, and, yeah, and, it, and I think and that, I that, that, he, that he, he and the character, they go hand in hand. you got to have that, that too, for him to get over the degree that he did. What's but so amazing? WCW had him, World Class had him, and New Japan had him, and didn't find that that special thing. Did that surprise you that even no. though the Undertaker character wasn't around then, did it surprise you that they missed out on him? Vince, again, was a wrestling business 24-7 and third generation. They knew how to make – they knew how to recognize talent and then how to make stars out of talent. And uh, the people at WCW – I mean, you mentioned The Undertaker. And you think about the people that came out of there. Stone Cold Steve Austin came out of there. Chris Jericho came out of there. Mick Foley came out of there. Uh, I mean, there, there's a lot of people who just... Paula Nash came out of there and then went back. Yes, were there. And, and, and that was another part, too, that Vince pioneered um, licensing and marketing. And the guys that were there did extremely well. Every quarter they would get a printout that would be like a small phone book. And on the back would be a check all broke down on what their what the product was, if it was something that they got a big share because it was maybe a, a DVD on their career where you know they got most of it or you know however the percentages broke down. And I mean it would even be products that went out that were then some that were returned as a as a as a credit back against it. I mean, it was all laid out there based on, on their contractual agreements. And in the back was, uh, those guys had some, I remember them saying that the Iron Sheik that one year when action figures were were a big, big deal. He made more money from his licensing and merchandising than he made from his in-ring appearances. And when the guys got to, like when Hall and Nash got to WCW, they were accustomed to that, 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 quarterly check for licensing and merchandise. So they made a sweet deal with Eric Bischoff for their wrestling talent. And then after some time went by, they went back to Bischoff and they said, you know, we, we got a substantial amount of money above our wrestling contract for licensing and merchandise. You're trying to get it launched, but nothing's happening. So, you really need to make it up to us in some other way. And the only thing that we can see is make an adjustment to our wrestling contract because we're not getting that other money. And what argument could he have? Well, no, I don't agree with that because 
they tried and just never never got it launched off the ground. So all of Nash went back in and again, woo hoo 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 hoo, played the fiddle and uh, kept redoing their contracts, getting more and more money. A Viking character is what Vince McMahon <laughs> saw when he first met The Undertaker. So we talk about a Viking character, The Undertaker. I don't think my idea that, that he would see the Davari boys and think, <laughs> Indian cronies. I don't think that would be maybe that maybe I want to I want to uh, say one more thing about the uh, going back to the gender thing that I forgot to mention. Yeah, when we were talking about how they, the company's been unable to monetize that market, and you know there was no shop for a long time, and and there was no network and all that. Uh, I, I forgot to touch upon the social media thing because India does have a massive. Uh, social media following when it comes to WWE and so some people might be like oh they they must be making a killing that way I know this from being in, in the online advertising world myself India is a very tough market to monetize there there aren't a lot of big advertisers that are looking for traffic in India uh, the rates that you're able to get are very minimal compared to what you're able to get to US for US traffic and so that Punjabi celebration video for example I bet you the vast majority of that traffic is coming from India, and I bet you WWE is getting pennies from WWE YouTube on that. Maybe getting pennies anyway. Like well, they have, they, have boys. Separate, they have a separate deal. They're yeah. not like regular YouTube. We're YouTube partners, but. and we're still getting F. There's a petition going around, by the way, guys. Uh, go ahead and sign that. I'll retweet that again to get, w, or to get YouTube and Google to take a look at uh, the monetization of pro wrestling. We got What Culture Pro Wrestling having to... Sh- like cancel shows and tapings. Yeah, that's I was actually going to talk about that today. That's, so um, that's heartbreaking. Like that's yeah. that's terrible. That's costing. Yeah. That's putting people. It's literally costing people jobs. And from what I understand, uh, the catalyst for this is that there were hate-filled videos on YouTube that scared off advertisers that didn't have anything to do with wrestling. Correct. It's their uh, algorithm. Right. Right. And yeah. to me, if you've had an algorithm that that makes that generalization for a month. I don't right. know what you're doing. Right? Yeah. So they deem that it is non-advertiser-friendly content. Uh, and like you said, uh, WCPW, What Culture Pro Wrestling, they had to uh, shut down their free show called Loaded because uh, they just weren't making any money. And they had to cancel all their tapings June, July, and August for the same reason. So that's unfortunate. Yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to retweet that, that – uh, Petition, so I encourage all of you to sign it. Maybe it'll do something, maybe it won't. But I think at some point, whether you tweet at Google or at YouTube, let them know. Right. This this does affect people's livelihood. Personally, it hasn't affected me, but it affects the return that Jimmy Van gets on the stuff that I do. So, you know what I should I be doing? This should be, this should be like '80s pro wrestling. I should give you a cut of the house. Now I'm gonna have <laughs> to fly coach when I come to Toronto. Right. For the show. <laughs> I was going to put you in baggage claim before. Coach is an upgrade. Oh, wow. How much time do we got left because of our little screw up the first time around? How much time do we got left? 20, 25 minutes. 20, 25. Okay. Let's talk about – I got some stuff I'm actually probably going to have to save for next week, man, because I got so much on my list this week. Let's talk about the cruiserweight division. Yeah. Um, I don't want to, but okay. Well, I want to talk about it because of something Chris Jericho said. Yeah. So um, I think we, you and I will agree that the cruiserweight division in WWE has not exactly exceeded or gotten over the way we thought it was going to, right? They killed it immediately. They, they deemed it 
unimportant before 205 Live even started. Yeah, and I agree, and I, I was going to go into some of the reasons for that. So, um, obviously, they turned it into a sideshow act. Uh, they put purple ropes up. They put a different canvas up. They kind of, you know, they, they differentiate it that way. Another issue is that the cruiserweight wrestlers, all they do every week is wrestle each other, and they never have them work anybody else on the roster. So that's that's kind of different. Um, but there's something else, and you've, you've – touched upon this on other podcasts before, and Chris Jericho talked about this. He, he did an interview this week on Busted Open Radio, and that is the style of the cruiserweights is no longer any different from what the non-cruiserweights do in WWE. And Jericho, here's a quick quote. Jericho said, the style isn't that different from a Seth Rollins, a Jericho. I think I see every single person does a tope from Samoa Joe to Dean Ambrose, Kevin Owens, Sami Zayn, so what is the difference? Uh, and he's right. There really is no difference. Jericho kind of explained that they need to have more characters in the cruiserweight division uh, to get it over. I think Neville was a step in the right direction. And what Jericho is suggesting is that they put Enzo Amore in the division and put the title on him. And I think that would be a great idea to do that with Enzo. I always thought that putting Enzo in the cruiserweight division was a good idea. I said Xavier Woods should make an appearance there too because right. he, he meets the limit. They should do that. Finn Balor should. They should. I mean, they used to have Ric Flair show up in ECW and right. do hardcore matches with the big show uh, and WWE's ECW. Right. Yeah, that's actually an, a, another point uh, Shane Helms always brought up. When he's agenting X-Division matches in Impact Wrestling, he actually cited Seth Rollins and said, that style's in the main event, so you have to do something even more different now than than P.D. Williams was doing 10 years ago. Uh, right. I remember when P.D. Williams uh, brought the Canadian Destroyer. I was like, wow, I've never seen that before. What is right. that? I would see Sanjay Dutt and AJ Styles and Christopher Daniels do things that I hadn't seen before. Right. These guys aren't doing anything that we've not seen before. But Jericho also brought up that people romanticize that old WCW Cruiserweight division like it was something that everybody cared about. And he said, but it wasn't. Mm -hmm. Because he wrestled Eddie Guerrero and nobody cared about it. Mm -hmm, now, if mm -hmm. that happened today, people would go nuts. It's just, you know, it it serves virtually a similar purpose to WWE than it did WCW. But the difference is in WCW, you were seeing things that you weren't going to see in the Hulk Hogan-Kevin Nash match later that night. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But in the WWE's Cruiserweight division, you're seeing things that you might see in a Seth Rollins match versus Finn Balor later that evening. Oh, you're seeing things that you will see. Yes. And Seth Rollins well, suicide died. I, I said that the other night. Seth Rollins should maybe be like, you know what, guys? I've got like seven finishers and none of them have worked. I don't need this suicide dive. Mm -hmm. I need – I would – this is the kind of conversation Seth Rollins has to have and maybe he has with the Vince McMahon. Mm -hmm. Like, man, you all have taken a lot from me. I'm going to give this to them. Mm -hmm. Maybe give me my curb stomp back. Maybe let me do something else because I don't even know what the dude's finish is anymore. I have no idea. Well, still the pedigree. No, he started using that knee. Yeah, but I, th I thought he was testing it out, but he was still using the pedigree in big matches, no? I don't remember him. I don't remember the last time he used a pedigree. Uh, it's been over a month ago. I don't know. And he had the curb stomp. He's had the, the yeah. flying knee. He's had the, yeah. the pull. Like, the guy, and when he can't do anything that sets him apart... Because yeah. it either doesn't work or gets taken away. He does something that might set cruiserweights apart. And right. Dean Ambrose doesn't need to do a suicide dive. For one, his sucks. But then when you see it in a cruiserweight match, 
not only are those guys not being cared about in general because they can't do anything to set themselves apart, guys twice their size are too. Yeah, we don't need to talk about Dean Ambrose. <laughs> I uh, Okay, I want to talk about something UFC-related okay. because, uh, like I've said many times on this show, if I think the wrestling audience will find it interesting, I want to cover it. And they, I think they will. So I want to talk about the Reebok deal uh, because something happened last weekend that I think people will find interesting. So let's go over this quickly. So in, in December of 2014, the UFC signed a six-year, $70 million sponsorship deal with Reebok. Uh, and as part of the deal, UFC fighters had to give up their in-ring sponsors, uh, and they had to give up any sponsored gear that they might have worn for fights, and they could only wear Reebok apparel, which they call the fight kit. Uh, and which then you they own got, one of. I have the Brock Lesnar one, I do, because my wife got it for me, and I did it, uh, I did it to uh, kind of get behind Brock Lesnar. If they had a Brock Lesnar Kentucky fight kit, I might have it. There you go. There you go. Uh, but anyway, so the fighters had to wear this stuff. They had to give up their sponsors, and they were paid on a tiered system. And they did it based on how many fights experience they had. So uh, the lowest tier, you got $2,500 if you had had one to five bouts of experience. The highest tier was 20000 if you had 21 bouts or more experience. Uh, and if you were in a title fight, the champion got 40000 and the challenger got $30,000. Um, they did a big reveal in June of 2015. They did a big press conference. They paraded all the fighters out on stage, had them all wearing the gear. Uh, they kind of looked like circus animals, the way that they were kind of paraded around out there. Then the stuff went on sale, and it was just a comedy of errors when it went on oh, sale. Yeah. It was, and it was shocking that a company like Reebok would fuck up to this degree. They were misspelling names. That's why you boy um, wears Nike. Well, there you go. So Gilbert Melendez, they spelt his name Giblert <laughs> instead, of, <laughs> instead of Gilbert. So he, he was <laughs> – Suspended for a USADA violation. And I remember making the joke that he needed to put on a mask and come back as Giblert Melendez. Right. Giblert Melendez. Yeah. And then uh, there's a fighter named Ronaldo Souza, and he uses the nickname Jacare. That's his nickname. On his shirt, they had Jacare as his first name, and they had Ronaldo in parentheses, thinking that was his nickname. Uh, and there were a lot of other examples where they screwed that stuff up. When they announced the tiered system, a lot of fighters were very public about how they, they were getting screwed out of money. And uh, there was a guy by the name Brendan Schaub. He's a, a mid-level heavyweight. He was never a title contender. Uh, didn't make a ton of money in terms of his fight pay. But he was making six figures in sponsorships per fight. Uh, and he came out and said after the Reebok deal went into, went into play that he was going to be getting ten grand on his next fight. So he's going to be losing essentially 90% or more and Dana, of his income. Dana White called him out and called him a liar for it. How would so, Dana White know? Well, here's know? the thing. He, he brought on a show a list of his sponsors mm -hmm. and said, there's no way. There's no way. Well, I, maybe he needs to do his homework a little bit better on his fighters because Brendan Schaub is one of the great success stories of MMA. Mm -hmm. One of his podcasts is one of the biggest mm -hmm. to mm -hmm. the point to where they were like, hey, Fox Sports, we don't need you. We're going independent. And mm -hmm. then he has a spinoff podcast that is now doing great. He took right. the list of sponsors. He took his last sponsor invoice to Joe Rogan, and Rogan verified it on the air. Mm-hmm, mm -hmm, yep. And to make it even worse, and it's amazing sometimes how big corporations have such little foresight, because to make it worse, the UFC and Reebok cherry-picked top talent and gave them separate deals, separate from everybody else. So Ronda Rousey got a separate deal. Conor McGregor got a separate deal, meaning they didn't have to be on that same tiered system. They had million-dollar deals 
separate from everybody else. Here's where it gets. Sage here's Northcutt where it gets too. Sage Northcutt. Okay. Here's where it got funny, and this is why I want to talk about it, even though this is the wrestling podcast. Last weekend there was a fighter retreat in Las Vegas, a UFC fighter retreat, and as part of that fighter fighter retreat, each fighter was given a coupon for one time fifty percent off discount on Reebok merchandise. If you can believe it. So they didn't even have they didn't even have the class to give them free stuff from Reebok. They gave them a coupon saying that they can have a one-time discount of 50%, which is so ridiculous. Uh, and then uh, they had a sponsorship sponsorship session with fighters and they had a guy from Reebok up there. There was a guy from Anheuser-Busch up there and uh, a UFC lightweight fighter named Cajun Johnson spoke up. And he basically said, uh, you're taking money uh, out of my pocket. I've lost 80% of my sponsorship money. Uh, and how can you justify that? A bunch of the fighters applauded. Some of them took videos of it on their phone. They ended up pulling Johnson out of there, and they shut down that session. Um, and I guess the good news about it is that uh, Johnson said in an interview afterwards that the UFC went to him. They took down a list of his grievances. They had a meeting with all the fighters later where they could kind of air their grievances but uh, I wanted to bring this up because I just thought it was so ludicrous, you know, that, that they would do that. That it's, it's not very much unlike the network where WWE puts in this network. Guys are no longer getting pay-per-view money and all the, all the wrestlers are running around asking, how are we going to get paid on this? No one has gotten paid on this. The top guys are getting taken care of because they're the top guys. The guys lower on the card aren't seeing anything. It's unbelievable to me that these companies are making – I mean, UFC sold for $4 billion – and the fighters see this. They recognize the money they're making, and uh, and yet they've taken money out of their pocket. It's just it's mind-blowing that they'd be so stupid. Cajun Johnson has been outspoken for a long time. He hasn't been able to fight in about a year and a half, but some of you may remember there was a CM Punk Q&A, and there was a guy who got up and said, you're taking money out of my pocket and all this stuff. I didn't agree with him on that, and that was Cajun Johnson. Mm-hmm. I didn't agree with him on that. CM Punk is worth what he can make. I agree. It's not... CM Punk's fault, but I completely agree with him on the Reebok thing. Right. I think he should be able to go out and get a signed thing prepaid and say, hey, Reebok, if you can match what these people are paying me, then you can exclusively sponsor me. Otherwise, piss off. I think that should be his his right to do so. And yeah. Leslie Smith, it was funny because I mentioned on the Showdown Joe show yesterday, guys, check that out. Uh, holy smokes with myself and Showdown Joe, where we really got into this, the Chris Cyborg assault situation. But Leslie Smith, they UFC had hired Kobe Bryant as like the primary speaker, and he is a hell of a speaker to have there. And while he's being paid by the UFC, Leslie Smith says, we're trying to get an, a fighters association off the ground. How important was your union, your association to what you do? And Kobe said, it's crucial. It's almost mandatory in what you do and what we do. Mm-hmm. So I, I wonder how much this – I wonder if the UFC set this up expecting things like this. Mm-hmm. But the thing is they didn't need to set up a fighter retreat to do this because people have spoken out about it for years from the Brendan Schaub thing. Brendan Schaub retired. They yeah. challenged him, and he said, no, nah, I'm good. And now he is – he's driving a Tesla around. He's not driving. The Tesla drives itself if that tells <laughs> you what kind of success he's had. Yeah. And he's he's a successful stand-up comedian. You got people jumping to Bellator. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. That's another thing. A lot of guys have jumped to Bellator because yeah. of this. So. It's it's a crazy situation. Yeah. Should we uh, tackle the nicknames? 
I don't know if we should, because it oh. might make me mad. But Jimmy, really? But Jimmy, this is a stupid song. It just goes on and on. You might find some meaning, but you would be wrong. How would that make you mad? When I gotta remember how many stupid nicknames they use. Not well, only that, not only that, Jimmy. It's it's not just that. Our boy at Guzomatic yep. on Twitter counted. Yep. And mercy on the guy. He also <laughs> yep. did an O count for me for Tom Phillips. Yep. We had a you lot know, of people doing some good work for us. We had somebody make a video of Nakamura and the Hokey Pokey because I said he could make that work. I saw and that. He, and he did. That was phenomenal that that guy did that. How could that saw work? That. And then he did a, a remix of the Cassius Ono theme with saw that Tom too. Phillips saying, oh, yeah. I'm going to hit you with some of these stats. Or do you have them? Or do I, I have them? them? Okay. Yeah, you I have Go ahead and do it. Uh, so first off, Guzzo Matic, uh, who is from Edmonton, Alberta, he's a fan of the Oilers, so good for you. He actually asked me on uh, Tuesday, he said, hey, do you want me to, to do a count of the nicknames for SmackDown tonight? And I said, no, man, we're, we're good, you've done enough, you know, I think we can drive our point home. So the first thing I want to do is that little video intro that we just had, uh, that song was performed by a guy by the name of Trevor Strong, and you can see his work at trevorstrong.org. He's from Kingston, Ontario, Canada, which is close to where I grew up. I thought that was just a stock song. No, man. That's a guy. I don't even ah. know him. I don't even know him. He's a guy on YouTube. And, and it turns out that him and I are from the same town or the same area. And uh, so check out trevorstrong.org to see his work. So um, Guzzo Matic uh, did the count for us. And on the Backlash pay-per-view, there were 95 mentions of nicknames including 42 on the pre-show and 53 on the main card. The top two were the welcoming committee. There were 28 total mentions of that. And the Maharaja, there were 19 total mentions of that. Then on Raw on Monday, there were 74 mentions of nicknames, including 32 by Corey Graves, 22 by Michael Cole, and then some of the wrestlers used them. Uh, and I want to I wanna use a few examples because you know I'd love to give some examples. Byron Saxton on Backlash said... I think it's safe to say the artist successfully created his masterpiece tonight here in Chicago. And I was like, just fire him. Just fire him. You don't need him. Then uh, on Raw, so on Monday night, I tuned in late because I've got family in town. I've got a baby due any day. And uh, I, know I flew in. Yes, yes, you did. And sat in the bathroom. So uh, I tuned in late. And so I happened to notice on Twitter that you guys were talking about the usage of the big dog in the opening segment. And I decided, you know what, I'm not even going to bother with the big dog this week. I'm not even going to bother because, you know, clearly I missed a lot of good stuff when I missed that opening segment. So let's talk about some other stuff. So Michael Cole called, called Sasha Banks the boss three times in a five-minute segment, which is awesome. Corey Graves, who is starting to irritate me. Um, he's Corey, He's starting to really irritate me. And even when he says good stuff, to me, it's kind of uh, – it's overshadowed by the bad stuff. He's really starting to get irritating. So during the Sheamus versus Matt Hardy match, there was a commercial break in the middle of the match, right? When they came back from commercial break, within the first 30 seconds, Sean, I timed it. Within the first 30 seconds after the commercial break, he had said the Celtic Warrior three times. Mm. Yeah, that one's a bad one. That one's one of the worst, and he's one of the worst defenders on that. And, you know, I've always liked Corey Graves' commentary before main roster. Right. 
Right. He, he now, seemed like the breath, breath of fresh air, and I'm like, why'd you all get rid of Jerry Lawler if this is what you were going to do? Right. Yeah. What's the point? Yeah. Now you're paying somebody else main roster travel money. You're, I assume he got a pay bump. I don't know, but the problem is that Michael Cole, uh, everybody uh, reports to Michael Cole in, in that gig. And Michael Cole is just the worst corporate chill in the universe and, and, and the biggest corporate kiss-ass next to JBL in the company. And so Corey Graves is learning the way from Michael Cole, and that's not going to bode well for wrestling fans. Um, Alexa Bliss was in a seven-minute segment with Mickey James, including the match, and Corey Graves called her the goddess four times in seven minutes. And, uh, and then one, one other thing about Corey Graves, and I've mentioned this before, you notice how some guys have really stupid nicknames – uh, and Corey Graves will use them in serious situations. Like he'll use them with serious tones and he'll use them when talking about what are supposed to be serious storylines. So I noticed on Raw, he called Noam Dar the Scottish supernova twice. Uh, and, and, he, and he said it in serious situations. He called Tony Nese the premier athlete. He called Neville the king of the cruiserweights. And he said them in a, with a serious tone. Uh, and it's just like, how can he take this stuff seriously? It's, it's just so stupid. I want to make one little side note. This is not uh, related to nicknames, but it's about Raw. When Elias Sampson, who made his in-ring debut on Raw, when he got a near fall on Dean Ambrose, Booker T said that this would be the upset of the year. Uh, and I thought, did you not see Backlash? Come on. That's a good point. Yeah, you saw Backlash. You know what happened. How could you call anything else? Honestly, honestly, I thought maybe Sami Zayn beating Baron Corbin might have been an even bigger upset. I didn't see that coming, no. but... No. Jinder winning the title, I don't know if anything's going to beat it this year unless unless James Ellsworth beats Jinder Mahal on SmackDown on Tuesday. Mojo beat Jinder last month. Yes, he did. But, uh, yeah, Booker T also didn't use those nicknames on that count. Graves used it the most. And the offense that I bring up a lot is Tom Phillips calling moves O. Yes. 127 times in 104 minutes of wrestling on Sunday. That is unacceptable and (laughs) by tonight i will have watched tom phillips call matches four of the last five nights right and that is also rough because i have a feeling he could do better but i've not seen anything to lead me to believe that great announcers can make the difference jim ross called a fantastic match on saturday at nxt Mm -hmm. with pete dunn and tyler Bate. i've seen these guys each two or three times and i care about them more than I care about a lot of the main roster guys because of Jim Ross and Nigel McGuinness, their great commentary, the way Mm -hmm. they tell stories while people in the ring are telling stories. It makes a difference, and we get it. You want the name on the marquee. You want all that stuff. You want to sell a shirt, some Mm stupid-ass shirt with a sword on it for Nakamura. Okay, cool, man. Do you think that uh, uh, Phillips knows the names of all the moves and he's just choosing not to call them or being told not to call them? Or do you think he doesn't know the names of all the moves? I don't know. I've been given no reason to indicate either way. I've never heard him call the moves. Right. How would you like it if he used Vince McMahon commentary terminology in today's setting? So how would you like it if Todd Phillips said, what a maneuver? It'd be better than Ole. I think it'd actually be pretty good if he did that. Yeah. yeah. I know. I yeah. like I, The thing is, I get it. They're in entertainment and all that stuff, but you even see UFC, as I've mentioned, they're moving away from the shill commentary because they, they got rid of Mike Goldberg, and that was one of their issues with him. If I'm, I'm calling fights for Premier MMA Championships this Saturday, 
if Billy Donovan, the matchmaker, comes up to me and he's like, listen, man, every time somebody gets hit, I want you to say, oh, mm-hmm. I'm going to say, listen, man, every time somebody gets hit, you're not going to hear anything because I'm not fucking doing it. I thought you told me that you're a horror like a half an hour ago. Man, I kind of went back on that one, didn't I? Yeah, you did. You did. So I think what's going to happen is he's going to tell you on Saturday to say, oh, and you're going to say, yes, no, sir, I'm may I have another? It. No, I'm not going to. To be fair, you so? don't act, act, ask me to compromise my integrity, at least until it comes to fake shitting on a toilet. Yes. But to be honest, <laughs> hey, my moral compass, my moral compass, that doesn't like set it off or anything. I can't believe that you your audio unplugged because you actually were making an attempt to fate to, to shit <laughs> on a digital toilet. This is why you bought me the software. I actually made it unplugged because you're trying you were gonna essentially shit on a shower curtain. That's pretty awesome. It's pretty good. It's uh, one other thing about Jinder Mahal real quickly. Uh, a guy by the name of Graham Sucha, and I apologize if I'm uh, mispronouncing his name. He is a member of Canadian Parliament and his home base is Calgary. Uh, and this week, uh, during a parliament session, he congratulated Jinder Mahal on winning the WWE title at Backlash. So I thought that was cool. I remember when Kevin Owens won the universal title and a member of parliament from Montreal in, in a session of parliament congratulated him on winning the title. And now, uh, this Graham Sucha has done it. So, yeah, I, I know one thing. I don't want to see Jinder Mahal work that type of main event match. It was not a good match. I it agree. Was- I thought I it was. I thought it was decent. A little bit above average, a maybe. A lot of wrestlers. But that, that's that's on the Randy Orton curve. The Randy Orton curve uh, because Randy Orton's just boring. In I the agree. ring, outside of the ring, I don't. You and I'm, I, I'm not. You and I have talked about this before. We've talked about how Randy Orton. He's got so much talent, and he's got so much experience, and he's got so much potential, and yet he calls it in. And in in the last ten years, he has changed nothing. Except now he started wearing that little uh, hoodie vest. That's really literally the only thing he's changed in the last two years, ten years maybe, is that he wears, wears a little hoodie vest. He has changed nothing about his look, his music, his, his skill set in the ring, nothing. And I think Alex on the post-Raw show on Monday, he said that he would rather watch Jinder Mahal than watch a complacent Randy Orton. Yeah. He's absolutely right. And, and you know something? A lot of people shit on John Cena. John Cena, for every big match, he throws out a new move that he had been working on. And I don't think he gets enough credit for doing that. Orton never does that. that. That's all I ask for is to see something a little different. Kenny Omega is the best about that. Like, not not just adding a move. Like, he'll sell a move differently than you've seen it before. Like, if he gets crotched on the rope, AJ Styles is also very good about that. He'll tumble down to the floor in a way that you have not seen somebody do either before or in a long time. Right. And not all of Cena's stuff works. Remember when he was doing that springboard stunner? Yeah. And he, he stopped doing it because it wasn't working. But imagine the, the schedule that Cena kept when he was wrestling full time. Unlike anybody, including Randy Orton, nobody kept the schedule John Cena did. And yet when it was time for a big match on pay-per-view, he, would some, he somehow found the time to whip up a new move. You got to respect that. And Randy Orton has been calling it in for a decade. And well, I mean, so... He- and I think he's resting on his laurels. A couple of years ago, they got really lucky that he became a meme. Right. So. Which was actually really great. And I, I wish that they had of, uh, capitalized on that more. They should have. I mean, yeah. there were women in my kickboxing class who would get on the mats and pretend to RKO me out of nowhere. And I'm like, how do you know what the hell an RKO is? Right. And they're like, it's all over Twitter. 
And when the whole dive thing came out, he posted one of a guy jumping off a diving board and then Orton did the RKO. He actually posted one himself. Yeah, they should have taken better advantage of that. They should have had him going out there dropping RKOs on five guys at a time or something. He's got the best move to get over with. It's true. It's true. But he has been, like you said, very complacent. He's been like that for a long time. What do you got going on this week, Jimmy? I have a baby due any day. Uh, and, uh, I was telling Sean, we have a C-section scheduled for next week because our first baby was born through an emergency C-section. Mm-hmm. So to make sure there's no complications, we're going to schedule it. But, uh, my wife thinks it's going to come any day. So I was telling Sean, I'm on basically standby until this happens. And I may or may not be here next Wednesday, depending on, uh, whether or not this kid comes. So that's basically what I'm doing, man. I'm in a holding pattern waiting for this, this kid to come around. Best of luck. Definitely. Going to be a boy too, man. So I was about to ask if it was a boy or a girl. Maybe in 18 years, when Fightful.com is celebrating its 19th anniversary, I'm going to say, Sean, I'd like to introduce you to your new boss. And it'll be The List, your boy, and The List's boy? Could be like that. The, the, the List and The Boy's boy? So it'd be The List and your boy. <laughs> well, then I guess it'd be you would no longer do the show. It'd be me and my kid. In 18 years. Yeah, maybe it'd be maybe it'd be the list boy and your boy. Hey, I'm good with still being here in 18 years. Yeah, we'll see what happens. That's all I got, man. That's all I got. I can't we'll wait. See to what happens. Let's, what the hell is that supposed to mean? Let me ask you a question. So you know how you did the week that we had all the bloopers because of the wirecast issues, and yeah. you turned it into a separate clip. Yeah. Are you going to do that this time too? Are you going to keep that and turn it into a separate clip? Well, I mean, I don't have to because it already is a separate clip. Yeah, but you're going to keep the beginning of that podcast, though, right? And throw it into this one. Yeah, but I mean, it won't catch any of the audio from our blooper. Oh, you're right, because so, the audio yeah. was out. Oh, so, yeah. Yeah, okay. th- guys, if this show isn't up here in a little bit, it's because I'm I'm editing it. Right. Right. I was told by people on my team that uh, the beginning was very entertaining, they said. Well, it was. And Nigel, Nigel admitted to his... Uh, his cons- uh, what, what's the word I'm looking for? His his uh, conspiring with you. Hey Jimmy, let let's talk about something real quick. Okay. You hired me, and we talked we talked pay before this too because you're like I'm not telling you what anybody makes, and I'm like listen, I get the scale. Mm-hmm. I get the scale, but let's talk about how how cunning I am. The oh, fact really? that you spent. Hundreds of dollars on that studio and that uh-huh. background and those cardboard cutouts. Uh-huh. I spent 40 bucks on, on a green screen and a stand, and I got what you got. Yeah, but you wouldn't have had it without cunning. me. I was the cunning. originator. But I'm just saying, cunning. I was the originator. Now, I've watched enough Investigation Discovery to know that you don't have shit on Nigel. <laughs> Nigel didn't admit to anything. Oh, yes, he did. And you can't get me to admit. You're trying to get. You're trying to pull the... Well, Nigel already said, you're uh-huh. trying to get get charges on both of us. It's not going to happen. He came in here at 5 o'clock yesterday to take the photo of the background. He told me so because I told, I told Nigel, let me hear it. I got to hear it. And Lindsay walked in here and Lindsay gave me like a stone, like, you know, like a stone look. She said, I had nothing to do with this, she said. Which is exactly like, what somebody would say. Did you hook her up to a polygraph? I'm sure you have one in there. Do you want me to? You should. That's a segment. You, I've known Lindsay for a lot of years, so I can I can tell by looking her in the eye usually. Well, I have known Lindsay for approximately one year. Mm-hmm. 
and I can tell you that she planned it. I don't think so. This was all you. And you, you conspired with Nigel to get it done. And you know what? Good on you because it was creative. Uh, the problem was you took it too far. You became Bret Hart. You believed in your gimmick. Uh, and this no, I really from- became Bret Hart, though, on the show. I was in his photo. You were in his photo frame. That's right. You did become Bret Hart for a minute. That's true. But it was very creative until you just you took it too far. You ran with the gimmick too long. You tried to shit in a digital toilet, and everything went to hell <laughs> at after your that. Request, at your request. You said you're a whore. So all I got to do, you're like a trained monkey. All I got to do is give you tasks and you'll do them apparently. Uh-huh. So, you know, that's why if the guy on Saturday says, I want you to say, oh, you're going to say, yes, sir. Yes, sir. He wouldn't say that. He's thrilled to have me aboard. By and the way, how guys, did he find you? Did he find you from Fightful.com? No, oh, gosh, no. I've, I've worked with him for years. Oh, because I was going to say, otherwise I expect a commission. No, years and years and years. Call uh, me Vern Ganya. I want 10% of your purse. I think I've worked with him since 2012, <laughs> maybe. Uh, I've done commentary for a couple other promotions that he's worked. And, yeah, it's going to be on Flow Combat this Saturday if you guys want to check it out. Absolutely, cool. yeah. Good luck to you, man. I'm, in all seriousness, I know you'll do fine, so good luck to you. I'm looking forward to it. It's been a while because I've focused more on Fightful. I took one commentary job last fall, and I'm getting back into it a little bit more as we streamline stuff. But if it if it conflicts with a UFC show or something, I'm not going to do it. Right. I got very lucky this week because the UFC show is on, Saturday, on Sunday instead of Saturday. Mm. So, yeah. Is that the Gustafson one? Yes. Okay. Yeah. I might try to watch that if I can. But yeah, I'll do some commentary. I've been in talks to do a wrestling show, but that uh, do to do commentary and actually perform. But it, like I said, if it, if it conflicts with a WWE pay per view or UFC show. Right. Not interested. Right. right. Interested. Cool, man. Well, I think that's all we got. I think that's all we got. Everybody, register fightful.com. You'll get members only podcasts. I'm going to do a podcast this week, I think, that is going to be like how I would book it. And uh, that should be a lot of fun. Jimmy, Are you going to take questions again? Yeah, probably. Well, that's not going to be for our members only. That's just going to be for a fightful feature. Oh, okay. Because otherwise I was going to submit some on uh, on Fightful or on YouTube or something. I'll so. probably do a members-only show within the next week or two. Okay, cool. Where can they follow you on Twitter, Jimmy? At JimmyVan74. You can follow me straight back home to you in Kentucky. I got here in record time. Fastest man alive. It's true. It's like you were beamed down by uh, whatever the hell it was, Star Trek. I don't know, some Star Wars, Star Trek BS. What's the name of the, what was it, USS Enterprise, right? How the hell am I supposed to know? Oh, you know this stuff. Don't bullshit me. No, I wanted to bring this up, actually, because I was talking to my wife about why maybe I disliked particularly the first 45 minutes of Star Wars so much. Yeah, okay. Because a lot of the first Star Wars was introducing you to characters, but even though I had never watched any of it, I already knew who all the characters were and basically what their affiliations were because almost everybody does. Sure, it's pop culture. It's, it's pop Absolutely. culture. It's Star Wars. It's, yeah. it's huge. So they were introducing me to all these guys, and I'm like, on with the shit already. I already know. But yeah, but I, I would like Vatura and the rest of the office to know that Jimmy is safe. He's okay. I am. I'm, I am. I'm, I am. I am not stuck with Sean Ross up anymore. He beamed back to Kentucky after so, I uh, dropped an upper decker in your your office bathroom. Oh, as you saw, that's I why my that audio came. A little familiar. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. 
We're here every Wednesday, guys. Of course, me and uh, Showdown Joe are back Sunday afternoon, right after UFC Sweden. Definitely check that out. Also, post-Raw, SmackDown, WWE shows, uh, post-NXT TakeOver shows. we got lots of stuff for you at Fightful.com. If you haven't visited Fightful.com, definitely do that. we got lots of cool stuff there. Lots of cool stuff. Until next time, guys, we're out. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.